This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Our text for this morning is Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriat Arba, that is Hebron, and the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field and the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a bearing place by the Hittites. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forevermore. Welcome this morning, those who are with us physically, those who are with us virtually. Hopefully you're physical in the place where you are. So 50,000, this is a real picture, and it was taken in... 2019 in Hebron or Hebron, whichever way you want to say that, 50,000 Jews gathered at that place to honor Sarah, the matriarch of the Jewish faith. Now, 2,000 years ago, uh, King Herod built that edifice there, and 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 tradition has it it's it's built over the place where Sarah, the matriarch, and Several of the patriarchs are buried. We'll talk about that in a moment. You know, the record of history could just be this. They all die. <laughs> That's the record of history. They all 
died, for, except for two exceptions. If you're under 12, can you tell me two men in the Old Testament who did not die, went straight to heaven, did not die? Under 12. Okay, but how about over 12? Enoch and Elijah. You're way over 12, Drew. Come on, man. <laughs> Give the kids a chance here. You're right. So they all died, except for the exception of those two guys. They all died. But the record of the history of God's people is this. As Hebrews 11 says, these all died in faith. Now we're going to be added to that number one day. Because all die, because we believe in Jesus, we will be added to that number of these who die in faith. Sarah was the very first, this is the first mention of a patriarch, matriarch, dying. She was the first in the patriarchal age, right? We went from the primeval age to the patriarchal age in Genesis, and Sarah is the first of those who dies. She dies in faith. She lived 127 years, Moses writes here, and she died in Hebron, the promised land of Canaan. They were in the promised land, yet it was not theirs uh, to have, right? It had not yet been given to the people of God. Now, Sarah was not perfect. We've seen that. And neither was her husband. <laughs> we've, we've seen that as well. But she had been a faithful companion and a bride and a wife to Abraham for at least a hundred years because they were married when they were in Ur of the Chaldeans, and her name then was Sarai. So she had been with Abraham in all the great moments of their lives, all the moments of great faith and triumph and victory. And she'd been with Abraham in the tragedies and the sadness and the sorrow and the failures. I mean, she was the miracle mother, right? The miracle mother at 91 who gave birth and nursed Isaac. And now the child of promise is about 37 years old. Well, centuries later, Isaiah would write this to the people of God. God would speak it to, to Isaiah. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. So as we look at this passage today, Sarah, the matriarch from which Israel came, was dead. Let's look at this passage under three main points. Then mourning and request, response and bargaining, and burial. Now, Abraham does what any husband would do when his wife dies. He mourns for her. He weeps over the loss of his faithful companion, the wife of his youth and the wife of his middle age and the wife of his old age and really old age, uh, the mother of his son, Isaac. I mean, look, death is the enemy. We just sung about this, oh, death, where's your sting? Death is the enemy that will one day finally and forever be defeated, but it's not been totally defeated yet. Right? Paul wrote that it's, it will be after this mortality puts on immortality, he said, on that day when we were all changed, 1 Corinthians 15, when we are all changed in the twinkling of an eye, he said, on that day the saying shall come to pass that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death still stings, doesn't it? It still stings. It's, it's, not for the person who's, who's died, 
There's a, maybe a moment of unbelief or terror or fright for some, but for most believers, they just go to sleep and they're in the arms of Jesus immediately. But for those of us who are left, thinking back to my mom's death almost a year ago, it still stings. It hurts. And death is a reality that we live with day in and day out. And every marriage and every family and every faithful friendship will experience loss because of death. But as Paul says, it, it, you know, it's a reality before the second coming of Christ. But as Paul says, we who believe do not mourn as those who have no hope. Another passage of Scripture, our weeping may last the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. When the sun rises and the sun returns, we will be united for eternity with all who've gone before us. Well, after Abraham mourns, he, he gets up and, and he presumably went to the gate of Hebron where the Hittites were. The Hittites lived in this area in the promised land. He found them and with the promise of God perhaps ringing in his ears. Remember God had told him 62 years earlier, God had said, to this offspring, I will give this land. Hey, Abraham, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land that I have brought you to. 62 years later, they still don't own the land. And he goes to the people who do own the land or are occupying the land, and he speaks to the men in the gate. Notice he doesn't go and say, you know, boys, God told me 62 years ago that this is my land, you know, and all of my descendants. So why don't y'all just go ahead and give it to me? You know, you know what I'm saying? Just go ahead and, and turn it over to me. Now, he doesn't do that. He tells them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner. He acknowledges to them that he is not native to that land. He said, I'm passing through. And guess what, saints? So are we. We're passing through. You know, the meek shall inherit the earth, but not until the earth has been re reformed, right? The new heavens and the new earth. At that time, we will be joint heirs. We are joint heirs, but at that time, we will realize the inheritance that we have in Christ, and we will own the earth with Christ, the new earth. But we don't own it yet. Alan Ross wrote, God's people must suffer loss before receiving the promises. So Abraham goes to these men in the gate who have authority over this place, this land, and he simply asks them for a place to bury his dead wife. Now they may have been surprised, why would you, a foreigner and a sojourner, why would you bury your wife in a place you obviously aren't from? Why don't you take her back to the place of her ancestors? And of course, they didn't know what Abraham knew, that this land was his home, and this land was the home of his descendants and would be for the rest of time as we know it. And yet at that time, he, held, he and his people held not one deed to one square inch of this land. So he asks them for a place to bury his wife, and you notice they call him a prince of God. Now, most believe, and you read that and you think, oh, these guys are really, they recognize Abraham's a good man, he's a, he's a godly man. And maybe there's some of that there. But most people believe that this was flattery and even a little bit of mockery. That, they, that their offer to this foreigner to have any tomb, any tomb you want, 
we'll give it to you, was said with a smile, if not a smirk. And that's when Abraham directs his requests to one of them, a man named Ephron. He asks the group if Ephron would be willing to sell the cave of Machpelah. Abraham had already scouted the land. He knew which place he wanted to bury his wife, and he knew who owned it. And so he just goes to the group and asks specifically Ephron if he would be willing to sell the cave at full price. A cave is at the end of the field, which he knows Ephron owns. This move, Derek Kidner writes, made skillful use of the fact that while a group tends to resent an intruder, the owner of an asset may welcome a customer. So this leads to response and bargaining. Scott told you several weeks ago about the bargaining that takes place sometimes in foreign lands. He was talking about Abraham and his interceding with God about destruction of Sodom. And I bought souvenirs from street vendors and in street marketplaces in a number of places. And it's always almost universal, the tactic. If you offer $5 for that wooden, carved wooden elephant, you five U.S. I give you five U.S. dollars. I'm telling this guy in Kenya, and I try to match their accent. You know how, know how it is. I'll give you five dollars if you're only going to get that elephant for five dollars. Most likely, if you also pay five dollars for his carved wooden giraffe and his carved wooden rhinoceros and his carved wooden lion, right? Because upselling is not an American tactic. Upselling has been going on for a long, long time. And if you notice here, it happens at least, it, it probably in, in uh, circa 1914 B.C. I looked this up. When did Sarah die? Well, apparently she died in 1914 B.C. Who knew? We don't know that exactly. But here it is. Ephron is doing that with Abraham, right? This is the game. Abraham is giving him an opportunity to buy a field. He says, no, my Lord, I, I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. Now, Abraham had no intention of buying a field. He didn't ask for a field. I'm not starting a cemetery. I'm not building a park or a golf course. I just want a, the cave to bury my wife. But you see, Ephron is upselling. No, no, no. I will give you the cave and the field. But he doesn't argue. Abraham simply bows again and asks permission to the group to be heard once more as he says, he asks for the price. He says, okay, Ephron, name your price and I will pay the price for the cave and the field. Now, when the, with the upsell of the field accepted in, in Abraham's mind, Ephron goes into full bargaining mode. Now, look what happens here. Most believe that he asks for an exorbitant price, highly inflated. He says, and I think there was probably, I, I just think about my time in Kenya with these, these marketplace guys. I think Ephron did it like this. He says, ah, what, what, that field is only worth 400 shekels of silver. And what's 400 shekels of silver between me and you? 400 shekels of silver was an incredible amount in that day. We're talking about six and a half pounds of silver. And I remember the guy in Kenya, when I say, I'll give you $5 for that elephant, he would usually put his hand on his heart and he said, Oh, my friend, you, you hurt my heart. This elephant, and I love this one, I spent many, many hours carving this elephant. Not $5, my friend, but 
$50. And I would go, oh, my friend, you hurt my heart and my wallet. No, I cannot pay 50 And there it would go, back and forth, back and forth, until I got him to the price I wanted to. And sometimes people would say, man, you're, you're taking advantage of those. I say, no, no, no. These guys, they didn't just fall off the turnip truck. They've been doing this for a long time. They are not going to be cheated. They're going to get exactly the price that they want to get for their, their, their goods. And so it would go. So back in Hebron, Ephron has, Ephron has Abraham on the hook, so he's reeling him in. The price is 400 shekels, six and a half pounds of, of silver, an enormous fund. Notice Abraham does not blink. He does not bargain. He doesn't counter offer. He simply bows and accepts the price. Why? Because he knew God as Jehovah Jireh. If God can provide a ram in the thicket so that his son Isaac would not have to be sacrificed as God had asked him to do, then how much more? It's, it's, it reminds me of Romans 8.32, and I wish I had it memorized. I should. Romans 8.32 says this. It's an if-then clause that we all need to know. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Our God is too small so many times, and we live as if God doesn't really love us, and yet we see Jesus stretched out on the tree, and how can we ask that? So, so he, he knew God would provide. He accepts the price. The price is weighed out in the hearing of the Hittites. And listen, this was a formal land transaction. You see that there were men who were witnessing this purchase. Ephron was the one receiving the money, but the other Hittites in the gate, the other leaders there were in the gate. They were listening, and they were witnessing this. But notice that this is, this is equivalent to a document signed. If you own property, there's a deed in your name in the register of deeds. You have a a piece of paper that, that vouches that you own this land. This house is yours after the bank owns it for a while. This house is yours and this land is yours because there's a paper that says so. Well, these men were verifying to Abraham that he paid the price and the field and the cave belonged to it. In fact, the verse says the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham. There may have been some paper as property for a bearing place. Either way, Abraham had a legal title to the cave, to the land, and Moses says even the trees that are on the land, of course. Alan Ross writes this, the only portion of land of the promised land that Abraham ever received, he bought, and that was a grave. But what's important about this transaction? Cindy said this week, what are you going to preach on in this chapter? I mean, Sarah died, you know, end of story. I said, yeah, but there's other things here. What's important about this land is that this is, this is the land to which the descendants will now live. This connected the descendants of the people of God to that land for the rest of time. This purchase forever tied the descendants to that land and to that cave, which, by the way, there's a picture of the cave that supposedly is under that mosque in Hebron, and that's the cave, they believe, where you will find Sarah and others. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
Why didn't Abraham own land before this? Why did he and Isaac and Jacob live in, tw- in tents their whole lives? Hebrews 11 tells us, By faith he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham did not belong to the land, even though the land belonged to Abraham, land belonged to Abraham, Abraham and his people. And we may own land, but we don't belong to the land. We're looking for a city whose designer and whose builder is God. We're looking for a country that's greater than America and greater than all other countries on the earth. And that leads us to the burial. Without the bargaining, this chapter would be very short. It starts essentially with, and Sarah died. And it concludes with, and Abraham buried her. Abraham buried Sarah. Isaac will bury Abraham in that same cave 38 years later. Tradition has it that in this cave were the bones of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah were all buried, is now under the ancient mosque of Abraham in Hebron. The mosque has been there a long time. But in, in, the, in the cave underneath, you will find the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You'll find their wives, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah. Why Leah? Why isn't Rachel there? Do you remember the story? Rachel died how? In childbirth, right? They were on their way to Bethlehem, and she died, and they buried her on the way to Bethlehem. And Benjamin, of course, was the product of that birth. Hebrews again helps us. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We are going to that city. We are going to that better country. We love our country, and we should love our country. But we're going to a better country. Let's live for that country and die for that country, not this one necessarily. Malcolm Muggeridge said near the end of his life, when you're old as I am, when you're as old as I am, and this is before he was, I, I found a picture where he's really, really old. I thought, ah, it looks creepy. All right, so when you're old as I am, there are all sorts of extremely pleasant things that happen to you. The pleasantest of all is that you wake up in the night and you find you're half in and half out of your battered old carcass. It seems quite a toss-up whether you go back and resume full occupancy of your mortal body or make off toward the bright, bright glow you see in the sky, the lights in the city of God. Paul knew about that. He said it like this when he was in prison in Rome. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. And you say, well, why, Paul? Why do you say that? Why is, why is death gain? He said, because our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those verses are Philippians 1.21 and Philippians 3.20. Well, there's one more item on Abraham's to-do list. I mean, he's going to get married again. It's hard to believe. And he's going to have like six other children with Keturah. But that's kind of just a 
an afterthought in the rest of the, of the, the story of Abraham. The next big item on Abraham's bucket list that God created for him before he was ever born is to do what? Make sure that his son Isaac marries well. And that's our job as well, isn't it, dads, moms? As much as it's in our power, we want our sons and our daughters to marry well. Well, Abraham did too. So we're going to hear the story next week. Some of you are going to be inspired by this story. And probably arranged marriages will start taking place, you know, willy-nilly in the church. Uh, probably not. But it's a great story. And by the way, 67 verses, I believe. And I think John Gregory is up for next week. But I'm going to shorten that part that he reads. So, But go ahead and read the whole chapter for next week because we're going to talk about the whole chapter but you're not going to hear it all read before I preach because it would take about 15 minutes probably for, for that to be read. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for um, life and we're also thankful for death, especially death for a believer because it's not the end, it's just the beginning of real life, of life that will never end. And so we're, we're thankful for the the story here of Abraham and how he honored his wife in life and he honored her in death and he mourned her and he had a place where he could go and, and stand and remember his wife and also look forward to being with her in that new city, the city that is whose builder is God. And Lord, as, as we think about that in our own mortality and people that we love have gone, gone before us, we're thankful that uh, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we look forward uh, to that day when we will be, be with them. Thankful for the faithfulness of husbands and the faithfulness of wives, the faithfulness of God's people to love each other and to mourn the loss, losses when they come and to rejoice in the births when they come as well. And Lord, have your way with us as we continue to walk uh, with you day by day. We might be faithful to the promises of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.